Lord's sermon this afternoon is Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3. Let's read that verse once again. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Thus far our text. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, a couple of weeks ago when I was working on this sermon, I received a flyer in the mail, a promotion for a development in the area, and it involved a prize. The prize was a trip to somewhere exotic, somewhere warm. On the back of the postcard, or on the back of the flyer, I flipped it over, was a postcard, and the postcard was addressed to the kids in Edmonton. It had a picture of the sun, and then under the sun it said, just letting you know we're living the dream. Now those two things, the under the sun and the living the dream, jumped out at me. something that seemed to cry in the face of Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3. What does man gain from his toil under the sun? Apparently a warm vacation. And what exactly is the dream? What is the gain? Well, when we think of the dream, we typically think of the American dream. It's about making it big. It's about retiring early. It's about getting the enjoyment of a life of comfort and leisure. But part of the American dream is also what gets you to the dream, and that is your work. The American dream is about hard work, earning that, getting it. You work hard, you toil for the dream. Now the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, posed the essence of that dream. is the emptiness of the way to the dream. That's what it is. Now as you look at Ecclesiastes, the book, what word comes to mind? What is the word that rings in your mind as you think of the book of Ecclesiastes? If you're older and if you grew up with the RSV or King James, you're probably thinking of the word vanity. It's a word that's notoriously difficult to translate. In fact, any commentary that you pick up on the book of Ecclesiastes will have a whole chapter devoted to the word that we translate in our text as meaningless. One commentator even suggested that it's so hard to difficult, or it's so hard to translate that we should simply leave it untranslated. What he proposed is that we use the word the Hebrew word hevel. come from a Dutch background, we have a hard time finding a word that means kevela. The same thing with this word. It's just hard to find one English word that captures everything within that word. The word hevel means something like vapor or breath. We sang Psalm 39, man's breath, that's the word used in the text. 
think of that word in our text meaningless, we think of breath. Children, have you ever seen your breath on a winter's day? Really cold outside, like a month ago, and you would breathe out, and what would you see? You would see a white mist, a vapor. Now, have you ever tried to hold on to it? think that was a nice vapor I'd like to keep that till tomorrow or boy it would be nice to look at it in June or July have you tried to do that have you chasing after the wind that's the word meaningless that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes means when he says meaningless to use larger words it means transitory that they have no lasting meaning. So when you see the word meaningless in the book of Ecclesiastes, you need to have that in your mind. Not that there is no meaning. It's clear from other parts of the book of Ecclesiastes that there are things that have meaning. We can have joy, but it's not lasting. And whenever you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to have that word in mind. That is theme for the entire book what he says in one verse two meaningless meaningless utterly meaningless everything is meaningless that's what he's saying it's the theme of the book it's contained again ecclesiastes 12 so what the teacher does what the the writer of ecclesiastes does is he brings the reader again and again to a point of crisis sense of unease. For instance, in our text, or the portion that we read today, Ecclesiastes 1 through 11, sorry, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 11, God is not mentioned at all. And there's other passages within the book of Ecclesiastes where we're hard-pressed to find the gospel. It seems so dreary, so down. what I'm doing 
has been accomplished in the world. In the middle of the muck of life, we can call him Lord. He can answer that question and he teaches us that without God, our worth really gains us nothing. And he forces us to confront the illusion of progress without God and the emptiness of a place without God. translate as labor in our text, what this man gains him as labor. It's actually a special word that's used in Ecclesiastes. He uses that word a lot more than any other part of the Bible. It's a word that refers to hard work and exertion. And when we see it in other parts of the Old Testament, it's often translated by words like misery, toil, trouble. It's a word that reminds us of the fall into sin Genesis 3.17. What does the Lord say to the man after the fall into sin? What is said there in Genesis 3.17? Cursed is the ground because of thee, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, and from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now that word labor is a word for work that brings the fall to mind. Toil, hard work. It doesn't just refer to our jobs, it refers to all of our activities. Whatever we pour our energy, whatever we pour our sweat and tears into, that's what he's speaking of. And then he says, what does that labor, what does it gain us? And by gain, he means something like profit. The word literally means what is left over. He's asking, when you look at the activity of man, when you look at the activities of mankind, what, what does it really profit us? What is left over? What real and lasting profit is there? us to confront how we define and understand progress or gain. When you, when you look at what you've done with your life, when you look at everything that mankind has done, what has really been accomplished? When we look at mankind, we see that we have amassed great wealth. We have many technological advancements. We've done so much. But really, have we solved fundamental basic problems of the world. There's still wars, there's still people that starve every day. What have we accomplished? We are simply the same as our ancestors were thousands of years ago. We just have more stuff. We can drive farther, we can drive quicker, we can fly places, but at the same time, you haven't really changed anything. You haven't given something lasting that we can take with us. When we look at our personal lives, we look at what we have, we look at what our parents or grandparents had, we had more toys, we had more stuff. Who dies the most toys still dies. Who drops 
great marker of human progress and gain. What does your work and toil really give you? What lasting meaning? What lasting meaning is there for every single one of us in here? The Lord return to faith in the gospel. And we return to the dust of not a single thing we have done, not a single thing we have earned, will go with us. That's what he's saying in, in verses 4 through 11. He points at everything keeps on going, but nothing changes. And look at, at verses 4 through 11. We'll just skim through it. You can see how he talks about the meaninglessness, the lack, the lack of lasting meaning as he looks at this world. Generations, people, they come and go. The sun rises, the sun sets, rises again. The wind, it blows round and round. Water keeps pouring into that sea, but the sea never gets full. Things are actually wearisome, he says there. Verse 8. We, we can't speak enough about how weary it is. You know, your eyes can't be filled, your ears can't be filled. Everything's hopeless. And then he says, just when you think that you've done something that you can be proud of or something that hasn't been done before, someone will say, that's been done before. That's been done before. No progress is made, and even the memory of those who come after us will disappear. We can't really leave a mark on reality. We can't leave a mark on faith like that. We are, at the end of the day, tiny, unproductive, unremarkable, and unmemorable creatures. And nothing our toil does changes. I've often seen a poster. I work with schools and said, 100 years from now, it won't matter what kind of car I drove, what kind of house I lived in, how much money I had in the bank, or what my clothes looked like, but that the world may have been made a little better because I was important in the life of my child. Now that quote does seem like a nice quote. It's a helpful response in a way to the American dream. People are saying there is meaningless there, meaninglessness there. Let's reject that and we'll, we'll look for more solidity in our impact on those who come after us. But you know what the truth is saying to them. Yeah, that's really nice. That's good of you to think that way. You know what? A hundred years from now, Remember the child. Realize something. Just think about our lasting legacy, our mark on the vapor. Even if we impact the life of a child, a hundred years later, people won't even remember that child. That's what he's saying. And you may be hearing all of this and say, boy, you're being a real killjoy devastating reality to be confronted by. All the happiness is being sucked out of life. But no, that's just the point of the teaching. What he is really saying, when you boil it all down, if we try to enjoy fallen 
terms, you end up faithful. If you try to understand fall creation or fall creation in its terms, all you get is vapor. If you look at activities without God, you end up with vapor. There is no gain. There is no profit. There is no leftover Knowing he is sovereign, and we will not be crushed. 
faith. But we can also know that he has done something in the middle of that vapor, made something solid. He has put gains there in the middle of it all. He's given us trust. See, it's real progress we trust in him. We can go forward in the knowledge of what Christ has done, that there is salvation, that there is meaning to our work on earth. That we do, we don't do to realize progress and begin in the profits, but we work in the progress that Christ has given us. Our work doesn't end in heaven. Our work begins in knowing who God is and what He has done. That's the only real progress that we can have. So, has the teacher perplexed you? God come and stood before you and said, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? Are you trying to hold on to the vapor? Trying to hold on to the fallen, broken life that is here because of your sin? Or are you pursuing me? Are you resting in what I have given you? Are you resting in what Christ has gained? at your life? Is Christ a side concern? Is he someone who's just kind of there? But the real stuff that you care about is separate from him. Do you have your dreams? Do you have the things you love in life? And do they matter more to you than Christ? We would never say that, but when you look at life, if you say, that dream is no longer accessible to me, that pursuit of vapor that I've been engaged in, that's no longer open to me, does your life lose meaning in heaven? Because I told you, the green position that you've been chasing, it's not for you. If I told you the dream job, the dream spouse, so caught up in the pursuit of vapor that you can't imagine life without it. The teacher is saying, is not saying, the teacher is not saying that those things don't matter, that it's wrong to have dreams, to have aspirations, but he is saying that we cannot hold on to them as though they are the only thing that matters, because they're only a vapor. Build your life around it. You will find that you find a heart Up again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes, 
under the sun or under heaven. It defines the field of study, the place where he works. He is concerned with the horizontal. In many passages in Ecclesiastes, as was mentioned before, it's almost as though the vertical, the relationship with God, is, is ignored. Under the sun, it's as though heaven is X. Under the sun is the earthly perspective. And the teacher is concerned with navigating life here on earth. Paul says the field guide from below is one person who works. It's not a detached guide, someone who just sits on the sidelines and tells you what to do. No, he is someone who is in there with you, telling you this is what's going to happen. It's not dealing with an ideal world, but dealing with a real world. We went on a Jarvis canoe trip this past week. I'm sure many parents and students have been on that over this past year. As you go through that, it's not as though he tells you to go on the beginning of the trip and then says, see you at the end. No, the teacher is one who is in the middle of it. Who's leading you, who's guiding you, showing you, okay, this is what's going to happen here. These are the issues you're going to be dealing with. But under the sun also brings home another reality. Again, it brings us back to the cross. Under the sun is that place where our activity takes place, our toil, our work. Under the sun brings home the reality of the fall and also the tension that we live with, that we long for heaven, but we are under the sun. There's a futility that happens under the sun. speak of that futility. Paul in Romans 8 speaks about creation being subjected to frustration, to futility. He speaks about the futility of Gentile thinking. The place under the sun is the place that brings us home the futility we face. Under the sun, left to itself, is the place without God. where man returns to dust and dust alone. Under the sun is where we wear ourselves out. But as we live under the sun, we also realize that we weren't created for life simply under the sun. We weren't created for vapor. Under the sun, we need to see something is missing. Ecclesiastes 3.11. The teacher says there, He has made everything beautiful in its time. In its time, He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. live there dealing with the vapor, with transitory
that eternity in our minds. We know that we were made for something different. Though we live under the sun, we live under a place where God is not as near as he was before the fall. We live in a place that is somehow separated from God, where there's a distance there. this place as though it is the only place. We do not make under the sun a place where our treasure is. So in Matthew 6, 19 to 24, the Lord Jesus urges us to seek treasure that is in heaven, not treasure under the sun. If you live as though this place is the only place, you will find trouble. That doesn't mean that this place has no meaning doesn't mean that this place is useless, that we should just kind of hang out, wait for the Lord Jesus to come back, and ignore this place. No, we live in this place knowing that we have been made better. Under the sun has been invaded by the Son of God. The earthly perspective has been invaded by the heavenly. There is something new under the sun. Something new is Jesus Christ. With him, we can say, here is something that has never been before. With Jesus, we can say, here is one who will be remembered. Each of these is cycles of futility under the sun. But with Christ, we see going right through those cycles, a line of redemption. mocker has been thrown to the ground Paul speaks that way in 1 Corinthians 15 if Christ has defeated death the great leveler the great mocker is is gone it has lost its sting and then in verse 58 he says always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not hold on to this brokenness because we know there's more to come. But we still work, we still have dreams, we still have aspirations. But as we do it, we remember where our dreams are found. We remember who changed the place where we were created. So find enjoyment in your work. Give yourself to your work as though working for the Lord. in the kingdom of God first. You are co-workers. Give yourself to that work. Give yourself to your labor. But do it knowing its goal, knowing its place. And you'll give glory to God. Amen. Let us now sing in response to the proclamation of the words Hymn 78, the stanzas 1, 3, and 5. 